as a base case, if we're making estimates on where we're going to be, I think we need to assume it's going to take two years. Two years? Did he say two years? He said two years. I ain't got that kind of time. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I guess I do now. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, man. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. Up in Seattle on KODX. Over in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day, even during pandemics, on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around exhausted swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another edition of the Bradcast, your stay-at-home radio companion. Glad to have you here with us. Uh, We try not to pay too much attention uh, to polls around here on this program, particularly national polls, uh, but for a number of reasons, in, including the fact that this has been a very tough week. I will allow some um, some poll porn here for a moment, <laughs> okay. Desi Doyen. <laughs> I like the way you put that. There you go. From uh, CNN, former Vice President Joe Biden now holds a wide lead over President Donald Trump in the national race for the White House, according to a new CNN poll. Biden leads Trump 53 to 42 among registered voters. That is an 11 point lead. Cool. Now, one of the reasons we don't like to run uh, national polls around here is because if you haven't noticed, we do not run national elections in this country but rather state-by-state elections. Remember, Hillary Clinton was leading all of the national polls as well back in 2016. And yes, those polls were correct. She did win by about three points nationally, but that doesn't matter given that we use uh, uh, a state-by-state electoral college system here, in case you're just joining us in planet America. So please disregard most of the national polls you will see between now and November. That said, kudos to CNN, who at least noted exactly that point in the very second paragraph of their article. They write, yeah, I know. They write, the nationwide picture shows Biden starts with an edge among voters generally, but national polls 
National polling cannot address the state-by-state electoral college race, which ultimately determines the presidency. Good for them. Yeah, right? Thank you, CNN. See, that wasn't that hard. They can learn. Yes. Uh, um, we'll see if it lasts. We'll see but. if it, yeah, on CNN. So anyway, Biden holds an edge over Trump as uh, more trusted to handle several key issues, including the response to the coronavirus outbreak, 52 to 43. Healthcare, 57 to 39. Helping the middle class, 57 to 38. But for some reason, Trump uh, narrowly tops Biden on who would do a better job handling the economy. Yeah, I know. 50% say Trump would, 46% say Biden, which is kind of amazing. Biden is supported by 91% of Democrats. Trump holds 96% of Republican support. But here's the key part. Independent voters break for Biden. 52 for Biden, 40% for Trump. That is uh, going to be key for the next few months. The uh, demographic divides that defined the 2016 election, however, seem likely to persist in 2020. They say Biden carries 62 percent of women to 32 percent for Trump. Did you get that? A 30 point lead among women for Biden. Thank you, ladies. While uh, Trump, on the other hand, leads among men, 51 to 44 percent for Biden. Seriously, dudes? On behalf of all men, I would like to apologize to the country for... Yeah, I am sorry. Thank you. Do something about that. (laughs) Working on it. Biden performs well among voters of color. 72% support him. While white voters break toward Trump. 52 for Trump to 44 for Biden. 52-44 among white voters. Come on, white people. Get it together. (laughs) On behalf of white people... I would like to apologize uh, to just about everyone for that as well. I am sorry, but really, what the hell is wrong with white people? The polls suggest Biden holds a broad advantage among young voters uh, who tended to be more supportive of Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary fight. Among those under 35, 62 percent back Biden, 31 for Trump, 62 to 31. Thank you, young people. And I will also note this poll was in the field, by the way, before Sanders dropped out. So hopefully those numbers will climb still higher among young people once word gets out that Bernie ain't going to be on the ticket this year. Uh, But then there is this. Trump's support is stronger among seniors, 55 percent to 42 percent for Biden. On behalf of seniors, I would like to uh, <laughs> No, I'm not. Th- I'm not that old yet. But no, seriously, but seriously, I mean, they must not have heard t- Trump talking about cutting Social Security and Medicare, which was one of the things he was talking about at Davos just, I don't know, in January. Yeah. Let me put that in starker terms, uh, seniors. The dude wants you to die. He wants to take away your health care, cut your Social Security, your Medicare, as Desi says. I mean, what the hell is wrong with old people? Uh, so uh, anyway, there's your poll porn for today. Uh, bottom line, uh, Biden beats Trump by 11 points, but only nationally in this poll. Unfortunately, it uh, it, it may come down yet again. Basically, to the old white people in Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. But only if they are able to vote amid a pandemic this November. We'll get to some of that in a moment. But in short, uh, I guess the bottom line here, really, 
take nothing from this poll, but I hope you enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> You're welcome. And take nothing for granted. Don't just assume that because uh, it seems obvious to most sane people that Trump is an idiot and should not be in charge, a lot of people are probably going to vote for him. And it's not yes. a done thing. It is not old, a sure thing at all. Old white men. Get it together, old white men. All right, as we discussed in some detail on our previous broadcast, the Trump administration is pushing to reopen much of the country next month. And now, as Washington Post reports, that is raising concern among health experts and economists of a possible COVID-19 resurgence if Americans return to their normal lives before the virus is actually stamped out behind closed doors. Trump, concerned with the sagging economy, has sought a strategy for resuming business activity by May 1. May 1. According to people familiar with the discussions, yes, uh, just as he was looking to resume business activity by Easter Sunday, by the way, thankfully, cooler, wiser heads prevailed that time. Will they again? Don't know. In phone calls with outside advisors, Trump has even floated trying to reopen much of the country before the end of this month, when the current federal recommendations, not orders, just friendly suggestions to avoid social gatherings and, and work from home expire at the end of the month. Trump regularly looks at unemployment and stock market numbers, complaining they are hurting his presidency and reelection prospects, the people said, which, of course, is all that any of this talk is about. That's the only reason Anyone is talking about reopening uh, this country at this point because Donald Trump's presidency and re-election prospects depend on it. That is the beginning and the end of Donald Trump's concerns about about any part of this deadly epidemic, period. End of story. If it meant that a million people died, but it would help ensure his re-election, does anybody within the sound of my voice believe that he would not take that option? And yes, I'm even talking to old white men. Even Trump supporters almost certainly know that much, right? Just, you know, stamp it as America first and they'll be good to go with it too, I guess. No matter how many Americans first must die to make that happen. As we noted yesterday, when asked on Thursday during an appearance on CNBC whether he thought it was possible that the country could be open for business next month, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said, oh, yeah, I do. He thinks we can open for business next month. There have already been many debates with public health experts and some presidential advisors warning against reopening too soon, according to The Post. While key members of the president's economic team and some uh, right-wingers in the vice president's orbit push for a quicker return to normality. Health experts say, however, that ending the shutdown prematurely would be disastrous because the restrictions have barely had time to work and because U.S. leaders have not built up the capacity for alternatives to stay-at-home orders, such as mass testing and large-scale contact tracing and targeted quarantines that have been used in other countries to suppress the virus but that haven't been put in place at all here in the U.S. where we're not even doing uh, mass testing. We're not even doing medium-sized testing at this point, much less mass testing. 
We're doing minimal testing. Even one of the more uh, one of the most optimistic models, which has been used by the White House and governors, predicts there will be a death toll of more than 60,000 people in this country. But that is only if the current drastic restrictions are kept in place until the end of May. And by the way, they're not all that drastic. So if the current restrictions stay in place until the end of May, with over 18,000 deaths in the U.S. already as we go to air, I'm sure it'll be a couple thousand higher by the time many people hear today's show. Uh, if we do that, we will have at least another 42,000 dead Americans from coronavirus by the end of May, by the most really conservative estimates. So not only is, is Trump, who used to pretend that his top priority was to protect the American people, not only is he apparently cool with 42,000 of us dying between now and the end of May, but he would like to end restrictions a full month earlier than that, which would increase the death rate of Americans exponentially, according to health experts. But of course, as Trump has said previously, if there are 100,000 American deaths, he'd consider that a pretty good job. Yeah, that's actually what he said. Only 100,000 uh, dead Americans? We did great. Give us a 10. Isn't that what he gave himself, a 10 when he was asked? Uh, how, how he was how doing, he was, how if he was doing. Yeah. his own performance, yes. Yeah. So Trump is apparently uh, preparing to announce the creation of a second uh, smaller coronavirus task force, apparently with no actual health experts on it, aimed uh, specifically at uh, dealing with the economic ramifications of the virus. The task force is expected to be led by Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff. The and new a one. former Republican congressman who's a head, very good Trump sycophant. Head of the, uh, well, the Tea Party caucus that yep. they now call Freedom Caucus. Maybe the Freedom to Die caucus at this point. Uh, so Mark Meadows, it will also include Larry Kudlow, the uh, president's chief economic advisor. Remember, he's the uh, former CNBC TV show host who told... CNBC a month or two ago that uh, we've got this thing uh, contained pretty much airtight a month ago. That was uh, about uh, 18,000 deaths ago. And uh, so, yeah, airtight. Let's let's put him in charge of opening things back up. And uh, also Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, along with outside business leaders, they'll all be on this economic task force to determine uh, how soon we should uh, open the country back up. Others expected to play a role include the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Oh, goody. Which is good. Oh, here's one. Steve, Stephen Moore. Remember? Do you know Stephen Moore? Oh, Remember yeah. Him? He's the, the uh, Wall Street Journal so-called economist. Right. The uh, clownish right-wing buffoon who advises the administration apparently informally because Republicans in the Senate made clear that even they would not confirm him for any sort of official role. He has pushed for the country to reopen more quickly and said he believes the uh, task force was a good idea to help expedite that process. But his explanation for doing so is perhaps the most telling. He said, quote, you have to figure out how do you do it? Where do you do it? When do you do it? What areas of the country? What industry? And here's the key part. Donald Trump's presidency depends on getting that right. 
That's what this is about. Health experts uh, and economists have said that opening prematurely could backfire, could lead to another shutdown if coronavirus cases begin surging again without a long-term solution being found. Past pandemics have offered uh, clear warnings about how that can happen. Uh, a study by the CDC in 2007 took a look at the 1918 uh, Spanish flu pandemic and there were cities that eased restrictions too soon, and then those cities actually got a second peak. The epidemic uh, broke out again. Once they lifted restrictions, the trajectory of those cities turned into a double-humped curve with two peaks instead of just one. And that would mean that, yes, hospitals would be overwhelmed, there would be many more deaths, etc., Ezra Klein of Vox.com wrote about the various plans that various think tanks uh, and experts have begun putting together to eventually try to reopen the country and the economy. And he said he found all of them to be, quote, very scary with no actual return to normal anytime soon in any of them. He says uh, he's read the suggested plans from the right-leaning American Enterprise Institute, the left-leaning Center for American Progress, from Harvard University's Safra Center for Ethics, and the uh, Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Romer. He says, I thought perhaps naively that reading them would be a comfort. At least then I'd be able to imagine the path back to normal he said, but it wasn't. In different ways, all of these plans say the same thing. Even if you can imagine the Herculean political, social, and economic changes necessary to manage our way through the crisis effectively, there is no normal for the foreseeable future until there's a vaccine. The U.S. either needs economically ruinous levels of social distancing, which is largely what we're going through right now, a digital surveillance state of shocking size and scope or a mass testing apparatus of even more shocking size and intrusiveness. I will link to Ezra's report when I uh, post this show at Bradblog tonight so you can read his analysis of the Herculean changes that likely lay before us no matter, uh, no matter what goes down. And while I know we're all antsy to see this nightmare end, I believe talk about that right now is either wildly fanciful or wildly dangerous. Take your pick. For a dose of reality here uh, for now, I'll, I'll just leave you with this comment uh, yesterday, I think, from Dr. Scott Gottlieb, also on CNBC. Scott Gottlieb was the uh, sec the head, the chair the, of the... Former uh, commissioner, commissioner of the Food and Drug go. Administration. Food and Drug Administration under Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump's former Food and Drug Administration uh, administrator, uh, where he was asked about opening the country for business next month. He suggested that the idea was ridiculous and that uh, even doing so in the fall might be very dangerous. In short, his outlook was, as a few pop music fans might appreciate, no better than Ezra's. You know, I think that activity will restore in the fall, but there's going to be a drag on the economy and a drag on activity as this continues to circulate in the fall and we face the risk of outbreaks and perhaps another epidemic. Um, people are optimistic that this is a, a pathogen that we can make a vaccine against. But that said, we've never made a vaccine against a coronavirus before. So there's a lot of things we don't understand. So you're, you're stacking risk. You're stacking uncertainty, if you will. You're, you're developing a vaccine against a target that you've never 
uh, drugged before. You've never made a vaccine against the coronavirus. And that's why I think this is going to take longer than, than a year. I think if, as a base case, if we're making estimates on where we're going to be, I think we need to assume it's going to take two years. We may get one sooner than that, but we need to we need to figure out how do we get through at least two years with coronavirus circulating in the world before we get to a vaccine. Two years, Desi. Yeah. Two years. And uh, this guy is uh, he's actually the one who I guess has been working uh, on the uh, this the plan at the American Enterprise Institute, right? which is the, a libertarian think yeah. tank. And they're the ones that have the I think the what aggressive is not the right word for it, but the most forward and soonest getting the economy reopened. And even he is saying two years. And part of that is even if a vaccine is developed sooner, we don't have the apparatus to manufacture mass quantities of a vaccine. So that's that is also going to take time. It's a two-phase process. I was struck by the fact that there has never, we've never made a, a vaccine for a coronavirus before. Yeah, who knew? So we're all sort of assuming, oh yeah, well, the vaccine they're working they on, it'll, it come out. Out, it'll be here in a year or so. It may never be here. I, I mean, we'll see what happens. But regardless, <laughs> the minimum amount of time is that people who are on the front lines will get that vaccine sooner, but the rest of America, it will take a lot longer. If it exists. If it ever exists. If we get one. Two years, he said. So anyway, you see why I wanted to start out with something a little bit lighter with those polls to try to lighten things up. Uh, we'll try to end that way today as well, by the way, if we have time. Something a little bit lighter. So, so stay with us for that. Uh, meanwhile, this administration cannot even seem to get the paltry $1,200 checks for individuals out the door. Weeks now after Congress passed their so-called emergency measure to do so. Now, on uh, Thursday morning, Mnuchin said the payments will uh, just begin going out next week to those who have direct deposit information on file with the IRS already. But by late afternoon, Vice President Pence said that those payments would begin going out at the end of next week. It will then likely take months, yes, months, months and months to get all of those payments uh, to those who do not have direct deposit information already on file with the uh, with the government. And even then, there are tons of needy folks who will never get a check, according to NBC, under the uh, Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act or CARES Act. According to NBC News, although two uh, the uh, $2 trillion stimulus bill passed last month includes up to 1200 for everyone who makes less than the limit, many Americans will fall through the cracks, and that includes most college kids, sorry, immigrants without Social Security numbers, and some disabled adults. So here's, here's a, a, a list of just some of the folks who will not get a check college students and 17-year-olds. So if someone else claims you as a dependent on their taxes, you will not get your own check. Parents will get an extra $500 payment per child, but that is only for kids under 17. Most 17-year-olds, some young adults, and many of the country's roughly 20 million college students are claimed by their parents as dependents they won't get checks and their parents will not get an extra $500 because they're older than 17 but still claimed as dependent. That's so insane. It gets insaner. People who get disability benefits from the Social Security Administration or Veterans Affairs are eligible for the payments. 
but not disabled adults who are claimed as dependents by their parents or other relatives on their taxes. Senior citizens who are on Social Security or make less than the income cap are eligible, but the dependent rule also applies to them, too. So some seniors who live with their adult children or other relatives or are claimed by them as a dependent on their taxes, those seniors will not get a check. Now, you also don't have to be a U.S. citizen to get a payment, but you do need a valid Social Security number, which means that immigrants with green cards and those on H-1B and H-2A visas, they will not get payments. Non-resident aliens, temporary workers and immigrants in the U.S. Uh, illegally, they also won't get payments. Here's a weird one. The $500 payment per child, like the individual payments, is based on 2019 taxes. So parents who claimed, uh, who, who welcomed babies into the world in the first few months of this year will not get money, mm. at least for now. Uh, instead, apparently, they will get uh, $500 uh, credit next year when they file their 2020 taxes a year from now. Assuming they make enough money to actually file taxes, which a lot of people won't because a lot of people are out of well, work. Well, no, the, even if they don't file taxes. They would still be able to well, get Well, now that you make that point, yeah, if they want that credit, I guess, if, if, it's, if it's going to come as a credit, then yeah, you're right. So they may never get it. The size of the payments for uh, start scaling down for those who made more than $75,000 last year. It zeroes out at $98,000 or more. But what if you exceeded the limit in 2019 only to lose your job? or get a lower-paying job this year. Well, you will not get a payment for now. You will, however, get a credit on your taxes next year when the system catches up. So that won't do much good right now to help the economy either. Some parents uh, who aren't, oh, this is a weird one, some parents who aren't married and split custody of their kids and they take turns each year claiming them on their taxes, well, because the payments go off of your 2019 tax return, uh, whoever has the even years is out of luck. So it will only go to one. You get to pay for your child all by yourself. And not everyone who filed taxes jointly with a spouse in 2019 is still married to that spouse. So couples who filed their taxes jointly last year get a single combined payment of 2400 The funds will be deposited into whichever bank account was used to deposit your most recent tax refund unless you update your direct deposit information with the IRS. But there is no system to inform the IRS that you have divorced or are estranged. So uh, one of you may be getting $2,400, while the other one is getting nothing. This is all going very well. The uh, stimulus law also uh, puts on hold other debts uh, that typically lead to tax refunds being garnished, such as overdue student loans or back taxes, but not child support. The coronavirus money can still be garnished if you're overdue on those payments. With all of that in mind, clearly there has never been a time more necessary to, frankly, rethink our entire federal government. Fortunately, we have somewhat of a chance to do exactly that this November. Unfortunately, that wasn't going to be easy to start with, and it's going to be much more difficult now. The election in Wisconsin a few days ago proved that uh, in spades, and what we have learned since then about Wisconsin's election only makes the case even worse. Sorry in advance. 
that story, and as promised, something fun at the end of today's show, if I can get there. Those are all ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Let's hope not. we got enough problems. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Of course, there is a lot of talk about how the hell we're going to be able to hold elections this November, much less in the more than 20 states that have yet to hold their primary elections this year, most of which have been postponed until June, which I think is still optimistic because I don't see uh, most states ready to go to, to safely go by then, much less by June 2nd, June 2nd, when more than a dozen states are now set to hold pre- uh, previously postponed uh, primary elections. And uh, while most non right wingers are calling for expanded vote by mail elections as at least part of the answer, and obviously it is pretty much the only way to go in the middle of a viral pandemic, it is not quite uh, as easy or safe as many Democrats seem to think that it is. Clearly, we do need to avoid the nightmare that occurred last Tuesday, uh, the disgrace that occurred last Tuesday and Wednesday's election. Uh, And by the way, just to those people who who risked their lives to vote in Wisconsin on Tuesday by showing up at polls and and, uh, standing in those hours-long line in rain and hail, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Anyway, uh, it was because Republicans forced voters to choose, basically, between having their vote suppressed or risking potential death to to show up for these lines after Republicans in the state legislature and state Supreme Court and U.S. Supreme Court, all Republicans, all prevented either a postponed election or an all-vote-by-mail election that would have avoided this. They also rejected even extra time for tens of thousands of voters to return absentee ballots since tens of thousands of voters had not even received their ballot in Wisconsin by the April 7 election day when they were supposed to be postmarked or returned in person by voters by that day. And what actually did happen in many absentee with many absentee ballots in Wisconsin, as we are now learning, underscores just a few of the perils that are part of the reasons why I have never been a huge fan of vote by mail other than cases where it is really, really necessary um, as, you know, if you're going to be out of town on Election Day uh, or also if there happens to be a global pandemic. That makes it really, really necessary. But only then with a whole lot of safeguards in place that are decidedly not in place in almost all of the states right now. As the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported this week after Wisconsin's disastrous, potentially deadly election day, attention turned to missing 
absentee ballots the day after Wisconsin's election on Tuesday. As state officials reported, three tubs of them were discovered in a mail processing center. And the Milwaukee Election Commission called for an investigation into a separate set of undelivered ballots. Also, officials in the village of Fox Point, Wisconsin, said 100 or more ballots a day were returned to the village as undelivered in the week leading up to the election. Just a mess. The discoveries emerged as would-be voters across the state expressed a host of frustrations about trying to obtain absentee ballots so that they could avoid going to the polls during the coronavirus pandemic. Many have said ballots that they requested long ago did not arrive by Tuesday, which was also the deadline for getting their ballots postmarked thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, who overturned both a lower uh, court uh, federal a judge and a lower appeals court, a very conservative federal appeals court to force voters instead of having six extra days as that lower court judge had uh, mandated to force voters to turn those ballots in, postmark them on Election Day or they would not count, even though tens of thousands didn't even have a ballot at all. Despite planning ahead, yeah. weeks and weeks ahead to receive it, they just could not get them out in time. Republican State Senator Dan Fayen of Fond du Lac said on Twitter, quote, I learned today that the Wisconsin Election Commission received a call from a Postal Service worker informing them three large tubs of absentee ballots from Oshkosh and Appleton were just located. Megan, and this was after Election Day. Megan Wolf, the administrator of the elections, uh, the State Elections Commission, said that she had been talking to the U.S. Postal Service about the situation, but so far had not determined whether the ballots in question had been on their way to voters or were already filled out and on their way back to the clerks. Senator Fayen wants the state commission to go to court to give absentee voters in his area a chance to have their ballots counted, according to his office. What a surprise. Well, does he now? Isn't that sweet? A Republican state senator in Wisconsin from the very same gerrymandered state Senate controlled by Republicans who refused repeatedly to postpone the election or to turn it into an all-vote-by-mail election and actually went successfully to the state Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court in order to block extended time for absentee ballots to be sent and returned. Now he wants absentee voters in his area to have a chance to have their ballots counted even though they are now late. That is the model these days of a Wisconsin Republican legislator. What a horrible human being this Senator Dan Fayen is. And by the way, I agree. I agree with Fayen. Those uh, voters' ballots should be allowed to be cast and or counted. But where was Fayen before when they were trying to stop uh, the rest of the state from enjoying that same right? Of course, I want every voter in Wisconsin to enjoy that, not just Senator Fayen's voters. Republicans uh, sought these uh, those decisions at the state and U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and Fayen himself over the past week called those decisions correct. He was fine with them then. 
But he also said he believed that the situation in his area was unique. <laughs> and those... <laughs> And those voters should be given accommodations that others are not getting. The State Elections Commission administrator uh, suggested that voters who didn't receive their absentee ballots were, sorry, out of luck under the Supreme Court ruling. She said there really isn't anything that uh, there isn't any additional things for this election that a voter could do if their ballot didn't make it by the deadline. So womp womp, Senator Fayen. Voters in Appleton and Oshkosh, however, are not the only ones registering complaints about trouble getting absentee ballots. For instance, Milwaukee officials have received numerous calls from voters whose ballots had been issued on March 22 and 23, but never never reached them. So they were sent out March 22, March 23 for the April 7 election, but the voters never got those ballots in the mail. The Milwaukee Election Commission is uh, seeking a formal postal service investigation into what happened to absentee ballots that did not reach city voters. According to the commission's director, Neil Albrecht, the pattern that we saw in terms of a volume of voters, and he says, I can't give an exact percentage, calling in and saying that they had not received their ballots really drew our attention to those specific two days, March 22 and March 23. He said that in a uh, news conference. Um, Then there is this also in Wisconsin, the village of Fox Point. They received anywhere from 20 to 50 undelivered absentee ballots per day for about a week in the week leading up to the election. That figure increased to 100 to 150 ballots per day, according to village manager Scott Botcher. Uh, On the morning of Election Day, Fox Point Village Hall received a plastic bin with 175 ballots that never went out in the mail. So for some reason, these ballots just kept coming back to Fox Point day after day after day in increasing numbers. And nobody seems to know why right now. The ballots were unopened and unmarked. They don't have a return to sender stamp or any type of explanation attached to them, apparently. Every time they received a batch of absentee ballots at Fox Point, village uh, officials would immediately try to drive the ballots back to the nearest post office and send them out again. They asked post office supervisors what was wrong with the ballots. They did not receive any explanation at all. The uh, Fox Point Village clerk said it's unclear how many voters were affected by the undelivered ballots. Fox Point received uh, almost 3,000 absentee ballot requests, all of which were fulfilled very quickly within 24 hours of receipt. Well, all of this has captured the attention of Wisconsin's U.S. senators. Senators Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin are now calling for a formal investigation by the U.S. Postal Service into its handling of absentee ballots for Tuesday's election. The uh, Republican Johnson and Democrat Baldwin made the request in a letter where they cited widespread reports of concerns from across the state. They cited the uh, report about the three tubs of absentee ballots being discovered. Poor Senator Fayen. Uh, at the uh, U.S. Postal Service Center after the polls had closed, and uh, they cited concerns from Milwaukee election, uh, Milwaukee's election commission about the voters who said that they had never received the ballots that they requested. 
The senators wrote, we are concerned there may be more examples and request that you promptly open investigation to determine the cause of these failures, which appear to have disenfranchised many Wisconsin voters. Well, that is nice of Ron Johnson to give a damn. They write, as the COVID-19 crisis continues and as more voters are likely to request vote by mail where available, this year's forthcoming elections will require that USPS's existing vote by mail procedures are strictly and effectively followed. It is critical that you quickly identify what has gone wrong and propose solutions that the USPS can swiftly implement. And by the way, this is, again, one, just one of the reasons why I'm no fan of vote by mail. And why I say that if you do have to uh, vote with an absentee ballot, for example, yes, if you're going to be out of town, but more specifically, if you're forced to vote on a touchscreen voting machine at the polls on Election Day, yes, get an absentee ballot for sure, always, even when it's not a pandemic, but try to deliver it in person because one of the greatest black boxes of all can be the mailbox. Uh, and this is underscoring this and nothing against postal workers, for crying out loud, or the Postal Service. But uh, things happen. Ballots disappear. In a separate letter to the uh, Postal Service, uh, and uh, gosh, I hope it gets there, Milwaukee election official uh, uh, executive director uh, Neil Albrecht said that the city had received this high volume of communications uh, from those people who never got ballots, even though they were mailed more than 10 days prior. Albrecht said that there were more than 1,000 people who were sent ballots on March 22 and 23 that reached out to the commission to say that the ballots never came in. A thousand people. How many didn't reach out to let them know? We don't know. And remember, this was a primary, which always has lower turnout than an actual general election. In a state that Donald Trump is said to have won in 2016 by just 23,000 votes. And we know that at least a thousand voters in Milwaukee never got their ballots. Uh, so in, the, you know, the most Democratic part of the state, people who did request them weeks before the election. Albrecht wrote, due to the severity of the situation and the number of Milwaukee voters that have been prevented from voting while waiting for their ballots, I'm asking for a formal investigation by the U.S. Postal Service into the whereabouts of these ballots. They don't even know where those ballots got to. Uh, as clerks processed absentee ballots on Wednesday, the ones that did come in, they found a different issue to worry about, as if there wasn't enough already. Envelopes that have no postmarks at all. Postmarks are not used on a majority of absentee ballots from municipalities that use postage meters, according to Albrecht. He said he anticipated the postmark issue would become particularly problematic for ballots received Wednesday that were clearly sent by the deadline, but that do not have a postmark. So, yeah, those can be challenged under uh, Wisconsin's current law, I guess, because they got no postmark. Who knows when they were sent? They came after the election. He said he wasn't sure whether those ballots would be counted or if the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling would be interpreted literally to disqualify ballots that do not have postmarks on them. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court said the ballots must be postmarked by Election Day. So even if they were put in the mail before Election Day, but they didn't have a postmark on them, well, the U.S. Supreme Court literally said they should not be counted, I guess.
So these are just some of my many concerns about vote by mail in general, much less vote by mail under duress during a pandemic with not enough time or money to do it correctly, with proper tracking for voters to be able to keep track of their ballots, both coming and going. As many states are now scrambling to get this in place at volumes like they have never seen and are decidedly not prepared for right now. And it would be a tall order, frankly, to get this in place by November for most states, uh, much less for a whole bunch of upcoming elections in June. And yes, even in May in Georgia, where there is already problems uh, with the secretary of state sending out uh, absentee ballot requests uh, forms to all active voters, anyone who he has deemed to be inactive will not get one. And apparently there's two different counties where the return address on the uh, on the request form that he has sent them. Wrong return address. Wow. Uh, so, again, uh, this is just one of the reasons that Democrats were trying to include four billion dollars for uh, for elections in the uh, the CARES Act, the. $2.2 trillion so-called Phase 3 emergency relief bill that was passed by Congress a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so they asked for $4 billion, but because Republicans hope to benefit from chaos and voter suppression this year and don't want any vote-by-mail elections, frankly, if possible, uh, Donald Trump he said he's against them a few days ago, even though he himself voted by absentee not long ago in uh, in his new state of Florida. Vote by mail for me, not for thee. Correct. Uh, so uh, Democrats asked for four billion dollars and the bill ended up with only four hundred million dollars included for elections. And it included no requirements for how that money should be used. Supposed to be for elections uh, doesn't say what you have to do. You know, it could be for hand sanitizer for the elections. It can be to buy uh, pencils, more touchscreens. Pencils oh, would be nice. <laughs> buy more touchscreens uh, to uh, make our uh, photo ID restrictions stricter. Uh, but apparently it's not even being used for that. ABC News reported uh, a few days ago that um, in several states, including the political battleground states of Pennsylvania, Ohio and and Rhode Island, Connecticut, Tennessee and Alabama, states are now either uh, using or intend to use election security funds, uh, including coronavirus stimulus money designated to protect the 2020 elections to fight their own statewide battles against COVID-19. Yes, that's right. They're using it for things other than for elections. Wanda Murren, a spokesperson for the Pennsylvania Secretary of State, said we are assessing all election security and administration needs and will allocate accordingly. But in other words, since the federal government didn't put any restrictions on the money, we're going to use it for anything we damn well want to. And we're going to use it right now because we need the money. With a vastly increased likelihood of absentee balloting, states will need to ensure that they have enough funding to accommodate the costs that come from processing these ballots as they respond to the crisis. A Democratic uh, House aide working for California's uh, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, uh, who is chair of the House Administration Committee, which oversees elections, said there's a, a need to pursue further legislation to ensure that voters can safely participate in elections as the nationwide uh, as 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 part of the nationwide response to the virus but you realize that the GOP is going to block it every step of the way 
every step, because they win amid chaos and voter suppression. And that is, at this point, the only central value left of republicanism at this point. But there is one more uh, problem related to all of this that I've been trying to get to for a while. Uh, The House Oversight and Reform Committee issued a uh, press release in mid-March saying that the U.S. Postal Service will not survive the summer without help. The Postal Service is in need of urgent help as a direct result of the coronavirus crisis based on a number of briefings and warnings uh, about a critical fall off in mail across the country. The uh, the committee writes it has become clear that the Postal Service will not survive the summer without immediate help. Now, this was in advance of the two point two trillion dollar CARES Act passed by Congress. They were already begging for help. According to the Postal Service, they are facing potentially drastic direct effect in the near term on mail volumes and could be forced to cease operations as early as June. This, again, according to the House Oversight and Reform Committee, a halt in Postal Service operations could have grave consequences across the country. The Postal Service delivered more than a billion shipments of prescription drugs last year. In addition, more than 25 percent of votes cast in recent elections are distributed through the mail. And of course, that was before we had every state in the union looking to potentially move to some form or another of a vote by mail elections. A couple of uh, Congress members, Carolyn Malone and uh, Jerry Connolly on the uh, on the committee, sent a letter to Mitch McConnell before they voted on the two point two trillion dollar stimulus corporate giveaway bailout bill. Uh, asking for $25 billion in emergency appropriations to the Postal Service to eliminate the Postal Service's current debt and require the uh, USPS to prioritize medical deliveries. Um, Politico reports that uh, the House plan for that bill would have sent $25 billion to the Postal Service, uh, eliminated their debt, and uh, reset the Postal Service's borrowing limit to $15 billion and eliminate a $3 billion borrowing cap that is placed on them by Congress. By Republicans in Congress. Correct. Since uh, 2006, the post office has uh, been required to pay a five and a half billion dollars annually to pre-fund retiree benefits, which no company in the nation has to do. Only the post office has to do that. Even though it's an independent agency, it uses no taxpayer money at all. But Republicans in Congress place those mandates on it because basically they're trying to kill it because, you know, free market and all of that. Postal Service may be the only way that we have to remove this president and these cretin Republicans from office this no this November. If they do not survive, then what? Well, that stimulus bill that was finally passed by Congress, it included, uh, let's see, $500 billion rescue funds uh, that Republicans wanted to push for uh, U.S. industries. Americans, many of them will get twenty twelve hundred dollar individual checks, but it included no money at all for the U.S. Postal Service. I hope that whatever is the phase four bill that Democrats put in place 
to or try to fight for because we need one. They better start holding up these elections, funding for elections and funding for the post office as a condition for any bill that gets passed. If it doesn't include that, don't pass it. Hold on to your leverage, Democrats. Quick break, and we're back with, oh, something happier, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit if you can by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Yes, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. There's a reason why we're playing the Rainbow Connection. Uh, we had Alabama's former governor on the show a few days ago, Don Siegelman. He cited the excellent work that our governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, has been doing and how his quick work may have resulted in saving thousands and thousands of lives out here in California. But we haven't talked much about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has been doing a hell of a job, at least comforting his ravaged state each day with his daily press conferences that actually include facts and straight talk versus the BS coming out of the White House press conferences each day. Well, Cuomo's become a bit of a star in New York with those pressers, uh, and he's clearly picked up one big fan in the brilliant satirist Randy Rainbow. This is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. Stranded in my bedroom. No one to love. Then there he is. Uh, Let's give you an update as to where we are today. My favorite guy. (laughs) He's the earth in heaven to your giant Skirt as heck of COVID 19. But you bring hope when I can't cope. I guess I'm saying I, 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 I love you so.
my dad. Oh, Andy. And when you are united, there is nothing you can't do. Andy, my darling, this global pandemic is scaring me real bad. But watching your daily press briefings sure does calm me down. The way you manage to lead and inform without terrifying the living shit out of me or straying from the facts, and still find time to nurture my delicate spirit with adorable slideshows and relatable anecdotes about meatballs. You're wise, level-headed, eloquent, and sexy at a time when the country needs it most. It sure is a refreshing change from that mother fongy. I won't get into specifics. You know I don't like to be political. I guess what I'm trying to say, Andrew, is that you're my number one Cuomo now. And whatever you decide to be once this whole thing blows over, whether it's governor of New York or president of the United States or ABC's next bachelor, I'm with you now, Andy, only you. Even as I continue to light a candle, get naked, and pray every night for the speedy recovery of your brother, my first love, Chris with his tight, wet t-shirts and his sweaty Instagram workout videos and his big, muscular... You know, actually, I'm still really into Chris, too. Oh, Andy, baby, you're so strong and rational. From now on, I identify as Thank you very much. Randy Rainbow, we will uh, link to the video, which is even funnier yes. uh, when we post today's show at bradblog.com, where you can download this show or any other anytime for free if you missed any portion of it or you just want to hear it again. Uh, that is made possible thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate and help Desi and I stay on your public airwaves through pandemics and not. Uh, you can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it, I think. Thank you very much, Desi Doy and our yep. producer. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers.